how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb. It's coming up next. Haven't seen it with Tim Sestito and Tommy Tevenet. Hello, everybody. Welcome on in. Thank you all so much for listening today. This is a podcast where one of us is watching a movie for the very first time. And this week, that person is Tommy getting in on the Kubrick train. Tommy, how many Kubrick movies have you seen? Uh, so I've seen The Shining. Uh, obviously, I've seen that multiple times. Uh, watch that all the time. Amazing movie. And uh, I've seen Full Metal Jacket. Uh, my hot take is the first half of that movie. It's better than the second half. I don't think that's a hot take. Well, for me, it's like if I'm watching the movie, I see the movies on HBO. If it's the first half, I'm staying and watching the rest of it. If it's the second half, I'm like, eh, let me see what else is up. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Any others? I think that might literally be it. I had seen this way back, probably like very early college, and I don't remember a ton about it. So it was like really nice to dive back in and get a refresher on this movie, this Kubrick classic, because I've seen a good amount of Kubrick movies. I've seen Paths of Glory. I've seen this. I've seen 2001. I've seen A Clockwork Orange. I've seen The Shining. I've seen parts of Clockwork. And I've seen I've seen Full Metal Jacket. I think I've seen one more, but I can't remember which one it is. But I've seen like a decent amount of his filmography. And yeah. I think one of the things before we dive full in on straight into the movie that always surprised me is just how wide of a range Kubrick can do while kind of keeping the settings similar. Cause he does so many different war movies throughout the course of his career. And they're, they all feel so uniquely different, but this is Dr. Strangelove or how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb. Transmit plan R, R for Robert to the wing. I was under the impression that I was the only one in authority to order the use of nuclear weapons. The hell. There's nothing anybody can do about this thing now. Well, I'm afraid we're unable to communicate with any of the aircraft. I'm the only person who knows the three-letter code. That's the doomsday machine. The surface of the earth will be as dead as the moon. Why didn't you tell the world, eh? So I don't think that was the unofficial trailer i think a fan just made that but it was the only one i could find that was short all the other ones were like three and a half minutes i'm I'm not playing it's hard to find uh tv trailers from the 60s this is uh the oldest movie we've covered so far um 64 easily the yeah well the the next closest would be the godfather which is like six years after this 72 eight years Eight years, okay, eight years. Yeah, no, this uh, that movie, pretty, uh, that trailer or whatever it was, if it was fan cut, pretty much just like hid the fact that this was a comedy and tried to be like, you know, so like those uh, like fan cut trailers of like Missed Outfire if it was a horror movie or something like that. You yeah. Seen those? Yeah. <laughs> this movie is a, a war comedy and it takes place at like the height of the nuclear hype. You know, this is 1962 mm-hmm. was um, the Cuban Missile Crisis, I believe, right? Uh, that sounds about right. It was either sixty-one or sixty-two. I can't remember. We're not a history off. podcast. Only only film history, not not normal history. Sorry. And from there, you know, you can really feel that in this movie, 
And, I, you know, the point of this entire movie is basically saying we have these this technology that can destroy human life as we know it. And it can only and like the human interaction part of it, like the, the human element to it, what can go wrong? And that's basically like mm-hmm. a hypothesis on this. But it's funny all the way through really blending that line of like very dry humor, which I think, you know, the lead is Peter Sellers. He plays three different parts throughout the movie. He plays a major at a base. He plays the president and he plays Dr. Strangelove, the, the titular character. Yeah. It finds a way to blend the seriousness of the movie with humor. And it's not like a cartoonish element. Well, that, that's so as someone who's never seen this movie before, when uh, I've always heard of this as like one of the greatest comedies of all time. So at first, I was, I was expecting something a little more broad, given like Peter Sellers and like the Pink Panther movies and stuff. Uh, this was a little more subtle, which at first I was kind of like, eh, but as I slowly got into it, it's it wrapped you in more. We're kind of like, it's not purely just laugh, 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 laugh. It's just kind of just like a little over the top, but not, not all the way over the top, you know? It's not over the hill. <laughs> I, I think of a movie that just came out, um, Don't Look Up, which I think is kind of mm-hmm. trying to do a similar thing, just a total satire. And that yeah. tries to really lay on so many laughs that it almost, and then try to really show you the impact of the the media, you know, the meteor, aka climate change. To, in that sense, where this movie doesn't do that, it Kubrick, if he's known for anything, it's respecting the intelligence of the audience and not, exactly explaining everything out because you're just you kind of don't know what's going on the first 10 minutes you know a plan is being executed and you see the faces of the pilots in the planes when they react and they realize it's that code they're like oh do we need to go back and check like we should double check before we run this mission because that's how serious it is basically Darth Vader does not fuck around no um and Jack General Jack D. Ripper decides it's time to strike. The threat of communism is too much for our great nation and we need to wipe it from extinction. And he goes rogue and fully plans out a nuclear bombing of Russia. And yeah, it it just kind of expands from there. It's like, I think of him with, with Mandrake, AKA Peter Sellers explaining his motivations for doing this which was about fluorides in the water. Yeah, where you could tell in that scene where uh, pretty much Mandrake just realized, oh my God, this guy has gone completely fucking bonkers and crazy. <laughs> he's, he's like talking about, yeah, when I make love, I notice the intensity of it. Women gravitate towards me. And he's just so... <laughs> I, don't, I don't let women... Uh, gi- I don't give all my essence to women. <laughs> Yeah, you know, this guy is so (laughs) off the deep end, but I think about it now when you think about people who claim all these things are in different things, verified, unverified sources, and just fully believe it. It's, I think there's a commonality between today in this movie and the 1960s that a lot of these kind of fringe beliefs existed at the time. And it wasn't, it's not as crazy to think that we've just devolved into this it's just that we were we've more always been this versus you know versus like oh just more media has made it has made us go crazier it's like well i just think a lot of these ideas are more accessible now to other people oh (laughs) sorry 
We put, I thought you put a clip for a second. <laughs> no. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> we keep this part in. Yeah, no, no. Um, it's one of those things that just like the movie, uh, it still plays up a lot of bra- um, the stuff that's, it's just uh, accessible enough that you can easily see caricatures of George C. Scott's character who is just wonderfully over the top and just like so zany in this. Oh, General Buck Tur- Turgidson. Um, yeah. there, there's a great clip of him in this where uh, this is like at the height of it where we've tried to recall all the U.S. has been working with the Russian government to get the planes back in, like letting them know that the attack is coming because this was not authorized by the president. And there's one plane that's going rogue. Mr. President, I'm beginning to smell a big fat commie rat. I mean, supposing Kissoff is lying about that fourth plane, just looking for an excuse to clobber us. I mean, if the spaghetti hits a fan now, we're in trouble. Dimitri? Look, if this report is true and the plane manages to bomb the target, is this, is this gonna is this gonna set off the doomsday machine? Are you sure? Well, I I guess you're just gonna have to get that plane, Dimitri. Dimitri, I'm sorry that jamming your radar and flying so low, but they're trained to do it. You know, it's 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 initiative. Look, Dimitri, you know exactly where they're going, and I'm sure your entire air defense can stop a single plane. Listen, I mean, it's not going to help either one of us if, if, if the doomsday machine goes off now, is it? Dim- Dimitri, there's no point in you getting hysterical at a moment like this. The first part is George C. Scott as Buck Turgidson, where he's just so over the top and so full of belief of the fact that like the commies are going to ruin everything. And even later towards the end of the movie, when the, the bomb is dropped, there's no way to, to come around and they're discussing like the plans for humanity's survival. And Dr. Strangelove is saying, going down into the mines where nuclear reaction can't waste in. And he's like, now listen here, we cannot have the commies be going down there. If we have the commies going down there. The commies are going to keep coming down there. And that yeah. that's going to influence and, tirate this th- and it's just like dude do he you talks not- about a mind shift gap or he's just like dude like you need to prioritize what's going on right here um yeah. what i love was how over the top he was is that apparently the way that kubrick directed uh george c scott was that he would be like okay we're gonna do a warm-up take right here where you're gonna go really broad and really over the ta- uh, top and don't worry george c scott we're not gonna we're not gonna like uh, shoot that one take and then um that was the take that uh kubrick used almost every single time it was just george (laughs) scott going so fucking over the top and he was like oh you fucker (laughs) you did this to me are you kidding me there's a lot of interesting behind these the scenes like clips of this so probably the most iconic moment of this movie is uh major cling clong played by slim pickens who was a he was like a pilot like a navy pilot or whatever it is and Peter Sellers was initially going to play that role, but he was in the plane like when they were early shooting those sequences, and he actually fell 15 feet and broke his leg, which is why Dr. Strangelove then had to have a wheelchair because he because hmm. he couldn't walk at that point. And I guess they shot all the other mandrake. Well, well it's insane. Um, 
Slim Pickens, how he came in this movie was pretty much, it was also a combination that Peter Sellers couldn't do the Texan accent as uh, well as he thought he could, where he's like, ah, oh, this might be. Well, that's what something. they were, that's what they were fighting about before he fell out of the plane, like out of the uh, prop it, plane. Him, him trying to do a Texas draw, I was like, come on, Kubrick, I can do it. And just, oh, <laughs> broke his leg right there. <laughs> Listen, this movie illustrates like the wide range that Peter Sellers has. I will say I do not feel like he would be able to really pull off a Texan ac- Texas accent just personally. Like I, he's a ter- terrific actor, an all-time actor, but he's, I, I don't see him necessarily being able to get to that because he just has such like a smooth, buttery voice. And Texas needs that little roughness, that little edge to it. You know what I mean? He doesn't have that drawl to him. He can play like you know, Dr. Strange has like a German accent kind of, or more like, just very zany, like cartoony villain uh, accent. And then uh, the only one, uh, the president, when he plays Muffrey, is just very, you know, mid-Atlantic, you know, kind of very, like, kinda almost like a boring book. Yeah. Dull and dry. Yeah, dull and dry. And a little bit nasally at some points, especially in that scene we just played. Because the original plan was that his character was kind of a cold the whole time. And he was doing the voice so over the top of him being like, ah, oh, nasally, that everyone was laughing. <laughs> Well, I think this is one of the funniest clips in the movie. So to set the context, Jack Ripper has the one code that can be transmitted to these planes to make them turn around. He's refusing to give it what it is. Uh, Mandrake keeps trying to get it from him. He kills himself. And then the Royal British Air Force that invaded this U.S. base, one of the colonels find him and he's like, I need to get on the phone with the president. So this is him on the phone with the president trying to collect call because the only phone line that's available is just a regular uh, phone phone box. Everything else has been completely shut down. Operator, hold on one. I'll try and keep you a second. Colonel, that Coca-Cola machine, I want you to shoot the lock off it. There may be some change in there. That's private property. Colonel, can you possibly imagine what is going to happen to you, your frame, outlook, way of life and everything, when they learn that you have obstructed a telephone call to the President of the United States? Can you imagine? Shoot it off! Shoot with a gun! That's what the bullets are for, you twit! Okay. I'm going to get your money for you. But if you don't get the President of the United States on that phone, you know what's going to happen to you? What? You're going to have to answer to the Coca-Cola company. Like, what a great punchline there. Like, this is serious end-of-the-world situation. And he's just like, if you don't get that lock off, you're going to have to answer to the to the Coca-Cola company. Like, that even it- remotely matters in a time like this. And I think that's ca- kind of the humor in it, is all the interactions and the preconceived notions that all these characters have. It shouldn't matter, but they can't help themselves it's a part of who they are it's a part of their character and i I think that's what makes it makes the humor really shine for me and especially on like a second viewing i think the humor hits a lot better because it's drier you know like the first yeah the first watch i just had right now um honestly like i was just so i I was expecting so much more broader that like i was kind of like oh this isn't as funny as i thought it would be but it it hits you a little bit more where and the more i've set up this movie i'm glad that we recorded this hours after i've seen it instead of right after because now i'm like okay i'm beginning to appreciate the humor more and like thinking more about how freaking funny it is that just like other than the broad the only really broad thing i could think of is slim pickens at the end uh you know 
uh, riding off the nuclear bomb like a fucking like a horse or whatever. <laughs> so, so funny thing was that was uh, added at the 11th hour. That wasn't originally in the script. And then Kubrick had the idea of having Slim Pickens ride the the thing down. And they basically had to work around the clock to be able to execute that. Yeah, the original ending was um, they were supposed to do like a pie fight at the end. It was just like pretty much just randomly they all got in a pie fight with the Russians and the Americans and like that was pretty much the end of the movie. And Kubrick was pretty much just like, this is too broad for this movie. This is too farcical. This is more... I feel way more Mel Brooks than anything else. Yeah, that's exactly... That's like the end of like, uh, what's it called? Uh, Blazing Blazing Saddles. Yeah. Yeah, where it's like all shit goes loose. Um, And apparently there's also a line in that movie that um, in the ending, the pie scene that George C. Scott says right after the president gets hit in the fight, hits a uh, pie saying, our young president just got taken down in, in his prime. And this was like, this movie came out maybe like four months after the Kennedy assassination. So this movie was initially supposed to debut to audiences the, either the day of or the day after the Kennedy assassination. It was the day of. And it, they said in the behind the scenes that Kubrick was like, we can't put this out in theaters right now. Like we cannot do it so it got pushed to a january 64 release which is so surprising because a kubrick movie like this is a movie that's going to try to get academy awards things like that like that's why it was that november release date that they pushed it back a couple of months to let things calm down the one line they have to uh change they, they change one line in post it's mm-hmm. when they're reading their rations kits uh, slim pickens is reading the rations and he's like, a hundred rubies, a hundred dollars worth of gold, a pair of nylon stockings. Hey, a fella could have a good time in Las Vegas with this. The original line was, a fella could have a good time in Dallas with this. <laughs> and they were like, okay, we need to backtrack this yeah, we can't, right now. We can't put Dallas <laughs> in this movie. Oh, yeah, oh, God, no, that's, that's that's a hot topic right there. And can you imagine if the movie just came out like the day of or something like that, and it was just like, like that was the planned wide release. Oh my god! Oh, I, then, I, I mean, sixty years later, I so wish that was the case. Oh my god! That would hilarious. make this. That would make this. Oh, it'd be the perfect satire. I mean, yeah. that event happening in the release window of this movie is just the perfect real life event to accommodate the satire of this movie. Yeah, and I think that's what this just nails better than maybe any other satire I've, I've ever seen. And I, you know, you said, you know, you think comedies, like, especially more today, they're a lot more over the top, a lot more ridiculous. When I think of Kubrick, and I've, I've seen a lot more of his library than you do, he's always intentional. He always has like a theme or a message he really wants to get out there. And he's always super precise at keeping the tone where it needs to be. So like, you really do have to ride these ebbs and waves of the tone of the movie because if because you have to at least understand how serious the situation is. Like, I love Mel Brooks. I don't know if he would pull it off because he would make this too cartoony. You know, he'd go to the cop. It, that's his style. The one movie that's kind of reminded me of some ways, and uh, you might laugh if I say it, is uh, Mars Attacks, where it's very almost just like, that's a little more broad version of this a little bit. But even with the president, I remember like George C. Scott's character is pretty much ripped on in Mars Attacks, where it's just oh, I'm parodying sure. the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I've never seen Mars Attack, but I'm assuming it's not quite as good as this movie. It's a fun late night movie. Yeah, but and Tim yeah. Burton made it, so yeah, it's you got the Tim it's Burton fun. Show. Tim fun and zany. 
Danny DeVito's character is called Rude Gambler. That's all I need to know. <laughs> yeah, that that would explain it. Um, I <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, what else is there to want... say? Okay, yeah, no, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, moving on because fuck Mars attacks. <laughs> do Do you think that there would uh, there will ever be a satire quite like this ever? released again do you think anybody would have the the stones to do it like like oh, we, i think there's there's always political think, satires but i'm saying like as precise as this and at like i feel like a lot of satires are too like over the top of this is who the president is right like the trump meryl streep connection and don't look up like the president in this he reminded me more of like a harry truman or something just he's so like melodramatic and like there's no real historical figures that are being directly parodied in this. well it's definitely it definitely happens a lot and over the days where like uh you have so many like nixon parables and like so much so much stuff like that i mean i'm looking at like political satires right now the last like few years and like what you have the interview of seth rogan i mean like team america that's a little more broad yeah team like, america but i mean like I, I think that there could definitely be another thing that's a little more subtle like the more kubrick even less like uh just far out like far sort of broad you know it's definitely gonna happen and to say it wouldn't happen again yeah that's 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 not fair i mean it's also not fair to say will anybody ever reach the height of a stanley kubrick film because you're you're talking different apples and oranges here 2001 is one of my favorite movies ever made i saw it in theaters it was a wonderful experience i still don't fully know what the hell went on in that movie but that's the point because it's just about your experience and about the evolution of man and it is so like it is so non-conventional story structure that it's it's not the most accessible movie, but it's considered by most to study film and appreciate film as one of the greatest films ever made. And I just I think of yeah. Kubrick like that, where it's like I keep, you know, this is him taking on not an easier project, quote unquote, but more conventional story and doing it in the comedy where comedy can be comedy is way more about performance and and script than anything and else even then this is very much more of a very very subtle comedy where it's just not like you're not at first watch probably gonna be laughing your ass off like constantly at least for me but it's more just like very clever i think in, in that aspect yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's a very clever movie that's for sure i am a star i'm a star i'm a star i'm a star i am a big bright shining star so, Tommy, who is the star of this movie? I would argue it's a two-man race between Peter <laughs> Sellers and George C. Scott. Because yeah. I, I think the range of Peter Sellers that he shows in this movie between him as like the Nazi scientist, Dr. Strangelove, as the president, and as Captain Mandrake, crazy. I think George C. Scott is just hysterical the entire time throughout this entire yeah. movie and i just i think he makes the movie i i think that george C. scott uh is easily that most hilarious part even though peter sellers let me put in a game performance for three different characters and it wasn't like cringy eddie murphy like the clumps or something like that it was actually each character was very distinct and different and kubrick even quipped like oh i got him for the uh three for the price of six or something like that <laughs> or six for the price of three <laughs> But George C. Scott, I think, he, he was the broadest. He was pretty much the guy where I, even though I was watching this earlier, he was the one that was just making me crack up like every time. We just like, oh, what about the commies here? We got a we we, we, president, come on. Yeah, uh, we, we could probably get them. I don't know. 
And I mean, you have Sterling, Sterling Hayden, who is Jack D. Ripper, who he was so great. He's so intense with that cigar in his mouth when he's explaining why he dropped the bomb. Second movie of his we watched of his because yeah. Godfather, he's in Godfather. Yeah. And Peter Bull, who was the Russian ambassador, I thought he was pretty funny. When I saw him walk in, I was like, if George Orwell wasn't a complete drunk and an egomaniac at this point, there's a very good chance that he would have just been this part because like i just see peter bull walk in and i'm like that looks so similar to george orwell at this time i just thought that was like an interesting connection also you have james earl jones making his on-screen debut darth vader himself uh he wasn't really that much of a, a, a part of the plot but it's cool seeing him pop up i don't think kubrick knew uh what james earl jones was fully capable of when he cast at him because he probably would have been the narrator because there's a little narration at certain parts of the movie i was like man oh man he didn't realize the voice he had uh sitting on his cast huh yeah yeah just sitting on the bench he's like come on put me in coach (laughs) you know i can do a voiceover (laughs) yeah no um also one of the funniest scenes was when we're introduced to uh george c scott's character we don't see him. We just see his mistress answering the phone when they're like, you need to get into the war room. And it's like two or three in the morning. And, you know, she her being like, oh, you don't have to go in. Like, you know, clearly unaware of the stakes of the situation that were going on. And they're sitting at, at the mission. This is him trying to explain like the, the fuck up, basically. And like trying to defend his guy as well, being like, oh, well, you know, it's already happened. Look at the big board. You got to go up and look at the big board. <laughs> I think, I think that, that yeah, the, everything with his, him and his like mistress was so just funny. made me fucking die. Where like he's in the middle of like the war room and just gets a call. Oh, yes. Uh, that's what yeah. I was leading up to. He gets the call from her and she's like, <laughs> no, of course I care about you. Yeah. And of course, one day I'm going to make you Mrs. Buck Turgidson. I, I, no, listen, listen, you can't call me here. I'm meeting with the president. Okay, okay. <laughs> I mean, while they're too. talking about nukes like happening and everything like that, it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's just those, that's like just the dry moments of like where these are things that wouldn't happen, but they're played off so real in the seriousness of the situation that I just, I think it's just so powerful. It makes the humor last the test of time, where I think a lot of if we watched any comedies from the sixties, really maybe outside of a couple Mel Brooks ones, would they really age? Well, like any generic comedy that just hit theaters. Like the night professor, the original night professor. Yeah. Or, any uh, Dr. Doolittle, yeah. any of those. No, they're probably not going to age well, but I think the fact that this situation now from now until the end of humanity, I think will always kind of be relevant. This, we have the power man does to destroy the earth. And what happens if we do, and there's a fail, there's a fail safe because the Russians have this uh, fail safe where basically if a bomb drops, they're just nuking the entire world because it was cheaper. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's, yeah. it's, it's very unreal, but it's very realistic. And when you think about politicians and you, you know, it makes you think like, why are we electing these people for these jobs? Because I, when you think about it, really, I, don't want anybody really ever having to make a decision like this. It, it, yeah, it's, it's a tough thing overall. Versus, uh, but yeah, this is just timeless. You know, it, it's always just going to be there. Ah.
Are you ready, comedy partner? Waka waka. Tommy, would this movie work as a Muppet adaptation? I almost want to say yes. <laughs> I, I do too. I think it could work. I, I think it could work. I, I, yeah. The more I think about it, the more I can see the Muppets uh, being in there. Where, uh, Peter Sellers, like Dr. Strangelove would be played by, um, what's the guy with the glasses? Uh, Beaker. Beaker. No, be- is Beaker. Or, or the, me- whatever, the, whatever the guy with the round face. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, not Beaker. I know who you're talking about. The thin guy. Beaker with... Muppets. If, if people are probably like shine at the screen, like it's this fucking guy, Bunsen. 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 Bunsen yeah. would be him. You know, you just have your board. For, you know, George C. Scott would be um, Sam the Eagle. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, I think I Kermit as the president. Yeah. <laughs> There's just so many different casting options. <laughs> I just imagine Kermit being like, oh. A premiere, premiere. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe Kermit as Major uh, King Kong pl- playing a Slim Pickens role. That would be no. Just... That that would be that'd be Gonzo or Animal. Gon- <laughs> Gonzo would be good in that. Yeah, yeah. The more and more I think about it, this would be a very good Muppet adaptation. It would be <laughs> weird. It would be weird. I, I'm not going to say <laughs> I'd, it watch, I'd watch the fuck out of it. <laughs> I would watch the living hell out of that movie. All right, Tommy. I think it's time for reviews. Give me a score. All right. First time watching this movie. Um, and I really enjoyed this movie. Um, it took me though a minute. Let, I had to sit, let it sit with me before I really started appreciating like how freaking funny the movie was. Um, Cause it's not over the top. It, it takes a little minute to hit. And that being said, Peter Sellers, I thought was hilarious. And especially in the role of Dr. Strange, I think his best role of the three in terms of laughs, at least um, George C. Scott also just made me die laughing. And, it's just a great movie, and I'm definitely going to watch this again. I'm going to give this like 4.5 out of 5. And I will, I think I'm going to echo 4.5 out of 5. You're, this is a true classic. It's Stanley Kubrick. You're in great hands in this movie. I think the way it's built up, the way that you're not fully explained everything what's going on, and as more and more of the story is revealed to you, the more humor you're going to find in it and then if you do a rewatch you'll find a lot more humor at the beginning when you know where it's building up to and it builds that tension up nicely the music is great i would say one thing about kubrick and all of his movies is his use of sound i think he does that incredibly well here with different sound effects different noises just to keep you captivated and realizing how powerful that can be 4.5 out of 5 very funny comedy still relevant to this day, definitely give it a watch. So Tommy, so anything else you want to touch on today? All right. So uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, we want you to you know, give us a five-star review on wherever you're listening, if it's Apple or Spotify. Um, you can follow us at Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and we're on TikTok too. We post stuff occasionally, but we're on TikTok. Getting with the Gen Zers over there. And next week, we're covering uh, The Thing, a movie Timmy has never seen, John Carpenter's classic. Tommy's getting those horror influences in more and more as we build towards October. Exactly. 40th anniversary. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week.